0: G'day, welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Merch, the producer and host of... Peter Blackie Black is our feature guest. You may know him from The Hard Ons or Numb Chucka Superfly. He's also got an extensive range of solo work, as we'll hear about today. Before we head into that chat, let's have a look... In the box. Liam Gallagher, Shockwave off Why Me, Why Not, their soon-to-be-released second album, Greg Kirsten, notably in some production credit too. I was one of the first to spin Meg Mac, and they're back with Hope, seeing them shine with saying what they believe in through their music. Red Clover from Brisbane have That Was Love off their debut EP, Into the Night, a move from rock to pop, drawing in electronic, for James Bettle, adding Sydney-based Alana Evans to the mix. Better Worn In by Tanya Kerningan, reflects on the comfort of being now 50 years of age, co-written with sister Fiona and Nick Wolfe, the latter of the Wolf Brothers fame. Speaking of country... Someone who's found a home in that genre and been touring with Becky Cole, a legend from it, is Adelaide, South Australia's very own Kelly Bruhaha. Kelly Bruhaha has released a thoughtful and cracking self-titled album with a lead cut 40,000 Stars Hotel being a tip of the hat to the adventure had with Pamela Vanderson. Their home on the road, a van with the essentials for The Open Road, another great cut from this stellar album. Show notes on radionotespodcast.com for more details. Now to hear from our feature guest.
1: Peter Blackie Black has been playing music with one of Australia's most influential punk bands since the age of 13. Recorded with and respected by Henry Hank Rollins, And in 2016, he recorded a song a day for the entire year. All originals all available on Peter Black Solo's Bandcamp. Here is a never-before-heard chat from 2017 when Radio Notes caught up with Blackie at the back of the Grace Emily Hotel.
0: Blackie, welcome to Adelaide, South Australia, particularly to the Grace Emily. I want to touch on this fantastic initiative, some might say a a treacherous thing that you did for yourself.
2: Look, it definitely wasn't treacherous. Music is so awesome to be immersed uh, in it, uh, that much was uh, decadently wonderful, to be honest.
0: We're talking about over 360 songs, a song a day during 2016. What did you get from the experience? What was it? Cathartic? Immense joy. What, you...
2: what, what do we do anything for? Like, yeah, you know, the main reason we do something besides you know the obvious stuff like you know I have to do this because I have to pay rent I have to do this because you know I need some money for you know blah 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 or I have to do this because my, you know, my car has a flat tyre but when we look at stuff that we do for pleasure like why do we do anything you yeah, know because it gives us pleasure and music gives me immense pleasure so there was no it wasn't at all hard of course there were a few days when it was stressful but only you know through you know things like say the drummer that I'm using was a bit ill that day or you know I couldn't use the studio that particular day and I was maybe a little bit behind that week, but, you know, they were really minor.
0: What kind of planning would someone need to do to release that volume that you did?
2: Uh, you have to find a way that you, in particular, can work to a, an efficient sort of a way, I guess. I, um, you know, sort of went in, I, I just jumped into the deep end and started... And I guess eventually, after about three, four weeks, sort of got into a groove.
0: 21, 28 songs in, Yeah. you knew what you were doing.
2: Yeah. And the way I did it, the way that seemed to work was, okay, there were many factors that I was lucky uh, in. And that's the guys I worked with were wonderful, and they were really determined for it to work as well. The first one, obviously, is Joel the drummer, who I've worked with pretty much for over 20 years he was the the drummer in Nunchaka Superfly before he moved to Melbourne and yada yada uh, he's only recently moved back uh, to he lives outside of Sydney but only just very lucky with him that we understand each other musically really well like he was one of the first drummers that when I wanted to start doing something a bit more experimental instead of saying nah that doesn't make sense he would actually say oh shit this is awesome mm. So we knew each other really well and I knew that I could go in there with sometimes even really outlandish ideas or a song with, you know, five, six changes in it and he'd be like, yep, got it.
0: Was there a sense, and we'll get through the other musicians as we do this, that there was a sense of a rhythm section first with these songs?
2: It had to be because it was, um, I mean, it was basically the drummer and me. Yeah. It was Joel and me either on guitar or Joel and me either on bass. That's the way everything
0: started. And great lyrics that you did get through within those 360-plus songs. Did you have a journal of songs before you started or was that also part of the ongoing process?
2: It was, it was a bit of both. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely ongoing, but there were, there were time... I mean, before I started, I did have... I thought about 80 ideas... That I took with me overseas when I went on that tour with Forest uh, Europe in 2015. But I only used about 30 of them.
0: Tonight you're playing with Forest. Mm-hmm. A very strong partnership has been formed here, an international one, maybe at that?
2: Oh, I hope so. Yes, I like to think so.
0: Yeah. Has there been some musical partnerships that we need to know about? And what I mean by that is, is there recordings in the works in the near future? Oh,
2: right. Uh, mm, Possibly. Possibly. There, there is one drummer that I used in uh, Song A Day and uh, we're talking about doing something together. And me and Joel will definitely be doing something together again. Uh, definitely.
0: What are you getting from the live performance doing this touring back in 2015 and now back on the road again? It's...
2: I don't know, it's different every night. It's just another aspect of music I like. I mean, I... I did you know? Basically, lived in a cave for a year. So now, playing live is something I wouldn't mind going out and doing again. Doing the solo thing is still really, really difficult for me.
0: Oh. Is it the isolation, or is it something else? What's the difficult a- aspect of it? Well it's a,
2: it's so effing hard. Yeah. Just you and a guitar. It's hard as hell. You hear every mistake. You hear no. how piss weak your voice is. You know. You hear every chord you play wrong. You know. Wherever. You know. I'm still really rudimentary on my picking. All of that. It's super hard. just started doing it, so I'm a a massive novice at it.
0: So you don't get a sense of control by doing it by
2: yourself? No, man, I'm riding on the coattails. It's like I'm hanging on, I'm trying to do it still. Some nights I feel like, shit, I did it, and there are some other nights, all right, that didn't work. I'll have to work on that for next time.
0: The songs themselves, I felt, was a response to the digital age of release, doing a song a day, here it is.
2: No, it, it wasn't any of that, it was just... It really was, I, w- I just wanted to do something big. It's just that it was available now because, because of the digital thing.
0: Are there songs within that that you want to now look back at and release as an album, or are they purely part of that project?
2: A little bit of both, because I am looking at releasing a 12-album box set. But the problem with that, especially in this country people don't buy music anymore. I've already lost a ton of money. I lost a big chunk of my inheritance on it. To do something like a 12-album box set, the, the cost is enormous and I'm really frightened.
0: Like, like who will give a shit? You <laughs> say the money came from an inheritance. On that. Oh, my mum died. What do you think she would think of what you've, you've done with the music?
2: But it's not something she really was interested in. But she would have been tickled,
0: by right? Yeah. Is there any songs within these that are dedicated to her in any way?
2: You mean the song that's actually called For Mum, that I shall be performing tonight? That
0: would pos- yeah. Oh, yeah. No, possibly... Possibly that. But apart from that, is there a collection of songs out of the 360 that...
2: There was a couple more, yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. What memories were brought up as part of the recording back to her being part of your life?
2: Unless I was writing lyrics about it, none, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Whenever you, you're working on something like this, you have to be insanely focused. And, um, yeah, it's... it's and, and, you know, like her, obviously, you know, your mum passing is something that's incredibly sad, so mm-hmm. there is no... Um, I can't work when I'm, you know, down or glum or anything.
0: When's the most inspirational time for Blackie to work? You never know. It's not a happy moment, though, is it?
2: It's no, no. Between. Oh, no. You know, I, I, that cliche of like, oh, I can't even write when I'm, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. That's a lot of sh. Like, i got to be in a really good mood because to me, the whole thing about music is is an energy factor. And, you know, the happier you are, the more energy you have. And, like, the other thing, it sounds really corny, but I do a lot of, like, I'm 50 now, so I do a lot of fitness shit because I think the older you get, the more maintenance you need. And I think I definitely need that, and that keeps me focused. You have to be sharp and all that sort of thing, you know. I don't write when I'm depressed. Man, when I'm depressed, I'm just like, get away
0: from me, you know. It's just shitty.
1: Radio Notes, released first as podcast can also be heard on radio worldwide.
0: like is our guest on Radio Notes. You may Thanks well, for having me. You may well know him from the band The Hard Ons, and a lot of people will ask you about that band. Do you think the youth of today understand the extremities you guys went through, the passion you had for your music?
2: No, no, of course not. I never thought about the generation gap except when... I remember, like, at one of the places where I was working, we would take turns... It was, it was a warehouse. We would take turns, you know... There's a CD player there, so we'd take turns playing stuff. And I just couldn't believe how crap the music was that they were choosing. And if I would play something, which I didn't even think was that extreme, they'd always say, "Oh man, what's this noise? Oh, what's this? Oh, this is horrible!" Like you know, you play a birthday party, or you know, then I would try to play something a little bit more palatable. You know, it's like, "Well, come on, bosscocks are really poppy," and they'd be like, oh, "That's awful! Don't have to play that fast. I can't understand what he's saying." But I think none of that stuff matters like you know you say would they understand what we went through to do Mm -hmm. what we do it's like I will no matter how many books I read I would never really understand what Chuck Berry went through you know Mm -hmm. through that intense racist era or, or James Brown who you know while everyone was you know listening to Pat Boone and stuff you know he had the the balls to write you know a song like you know sex machine you know we, 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 like that to me is way more intense than you know what we would have gone through and it's a generation that i don't understand so i can't fully grasp what happened back then
0: let's talk about the wall of racism because it was quite prevalent at the time how, oh
2: when we started it was dreadful it was how, skin at city
0: how did you fight through that what was the mechanism that you got the music of punk to be heard beyond that sort of culture that was existing at the time
2: I guess perseverance. I mean, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I don't know. I never analyzed it, but I do remember that time specifically because because punk rock was really dreadful then. Like, it was when oi was very prominent and uh, it was very regimented and the music was just sh- like that. you know, third or fourth generation of, uh, you know, punk from some of those areas was dreadful. You know, I'm not talking about, like, American hardcore stuff, which was, you know... Which was fantastic, but but all that sort of stuff and like the other thing we didn't understand because we were kids from you know from the west we also loved like you know we, we were mad Deep Purple fans and Zeppelin and all that sort of stuff so we didn't understand why there had to be a separation in what we just thought was good music so we would play. You know, not only our originals and you know, even by then we were madly into sixties punk. We we're just mad little music bands, we'd just go crazy, constantly gobbling up new shit. And I don't think the crowd also understood why we would do a kiss cover. It perplexed them and then so half of them couldn't stand us and wanted to bash us and the other half were How good's this? You know, they got long hair and they jump around like twits. So I think I would like to think that, you know, we just brought that fun back into it. And and even now, like I, I can't stomach any sort of violence at our shows mm. or anything like that. And whenever someone says, "Man, your music's so you know so aggro," it, yeah. it's not. Mm. There's not even a trace of any of that in our music. Like for me, it's energetic. That's the correct term to use. That, and
0: that's the difference in not picking up, is it? The, the yeah, difference between it's energetic like and yeah,
2: it's like no, we're not aggro. Not not even remotely. And yeah, I just think, I don't know, we sort of just, that crowd just got bigger and bigger and so it slowly pushed that element out.
0: Did you see a change in the audience's diversity the more you played? Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: I think so, yeah. I mean, I guess one of the things that sort of spun me out was like when we went overseas the first time we played, which was brilliant, and you know, I came back here, and did you know whatever? Then we went back overseas again, and there were so many bands that sprung up in our wake saying, Man, we saw you guys, and we thought, Man, I want a bit of this. And that was probably the best compliment that a band could ever have, I guess. And yeah, maybe, I hope so. I don't know. A historian will have to do that, not me.
0: Well, on that, do you get a sense of legacy from the music that you've put out at all at this point? A half cent?
2: Once again, a historian will have to do that because I'm always looking for what I'm doing tomorrow. So it's really difficult. I mean, occasionally, like I know Ray, you know, looks after the back catalogue and all that stuff a lot more. You know, sometimes for me as an artist that wants to keep doing stuff, and now Hardens is only a, a small part of what I, you know, actually, not a small part, it's a part of what I do. So no, it's not something that I would dwell on or analyze or think about or anything except, oh, I've got a hard-ons rehearsal. Oh, I've got two new good songs for him. You know, I'll, that's the way I think about it.
0: What is that bond like with Ray?
2: Oh, In it's general. fantastic. He's my rock and roll brother, and like I, it's brilliant.
0: Do we sense there is new hard-ons on the way by the way that oh, you yeah, answered that? of course.
2: That? We're still playing. And now is back full-time, so we're doing the four-piece thing. I personally would not do it if it was a a nostalgia act. So, yeah, there's definitely new stuff. The only problem with a band like The Hard Ons, and it will be a lot of bands uh, in this country, technically you have to call it a a very expensive hobby because with everyone's families and mortgages and that sort of stuff, I I mean, I'm okay, my son just turned 27, so he can look after me, but... You can't spend as much time as we did when we were younger. But yes, definitely. Just whenever we can find the time.
0: And I know this is about the legacy again, but you mentioned the 27-year-old son, and I'm wondering how over those teenage through the 20 years did you explain the hard-ons and the music that you were doing to him? To who? To your son. Oh, Oh, no, I didn't,
2: not even a little bit. No, look, okay, one thing that galled me... When he was growing up, like, okay, when he was pretty young, I think the first sort of musical thing that really hit him was Eminem. And to me, it's like, whatever he's into, he's into. I did not influence him in one way. And when people come up to me at shows, so for was in all ages, a gig, and, you know, I'd have my son with me. Have you educated him yet? It's like, well, yeah, he goes to school. And I mean, that's not what I mean. And, yeah, I just hate that shit. Why would you try, I mean, music is so subjective, you know, like, I don't know, I can't stand Bob Dylan, but, you know, half the world does. It's, it's very subjective. Why would I do that to my, you know, to my own kid? This is what you should be listening to. This is blah, blah, blah. This is blah, blah, blah. You know, he did end up liking this sort of music in a roundabout way. And he, you know, he plays drums, you know, you know, band with a bunch of his friends. And I was perplexed when he did it, because he used to always say, oh, man, Dad, when are you going to grow up? This man stuff's a heap of shit.
0: How did you feel when he said that?
2: I just giggled. Yeah. I thought it was a cack. I thought, okay, he's, he's at that... You know, every kid has to go through that phase where whatever your parent is, you're the opposite. And I would just giggle at it. And I'd be like, I don't know, son, maybe one day. Not right now. Your dad's still a big bub, and you're going to have to put up with it. So, yeah, when he did bring me up and say brought a drum kit like I was shocked and he goes yeah yeah I can hear your jaw dropping he goes I guess some of it bloody rubbed off and I have to admit I was proud (laughs) but you know it's his decision you know he's totally his
0: you're extremely healthy and a well-known vegetarian how have you taught other people about the wellness of being vegetarian and have you been successful in not telling them what to do but sharing the knowledge
2: i really don't know because it wouldn't be something that too many people would come up to you and say you know blah blah i look i do remember one time and this was quite some time ago i mean it happens every now and then but i do remember one guy coming up and i think he said maybe the tour before, he came up to me pretty pissed and said, let me buy you a beer and I went, oh dude, I gave up drinking ages ago. And he was like what? M- might have had, you know, a brief you know, five minute conversation that I didn't think much of but especially if he was pissed, like what would he take in? And then, yeah, when I saw him next tour, he's like, dude, how's it going? And I'm like, oh good. He goes, you've changed my life. I look after myself, I've given up drinking and yeah, it was pretty awesome, but no, I don't lecture anyone. It's...
0: That was just based on a fact you sharing left yeah. it at that.
2: I mean, when people ask me, why do you do this, why do you do that? And it's like, because oh, it works for me. You know, different things work for different people, but what I do, I know personally works for me.
0: What music keeps you passionate? What's the music you listen to, Blackie, that keeps you passionate about music?
2: I would need a good hour to go through all of it, a, a lot. And I'm, you know, even now I'm still looking for new stuff. Okay, the last three CDs I brought. Let's see. I brought a compilation on music from South America, experimental music from South America from the early 70s. I brought a Delta sort of swampy kind of thing which I don't like and I brought it to try Uh and the other one which was uh, pretty bitchin' was a African like renegade funk sort of comp.
0: So definitely a global sense of musical identity?
2: Yeah maybe because I don't know I just seem okay at this particular moment uh, there is not too much new punk rock that I like this once again is an age thing even when I hear you know a new punk rock band that people rave about for me a lot of it is I've heard it all before and that's why that's one of the things with the hard-ons that's difficult you know even like when I come up with stuff from hard-ons I throw out a lot because it's like hey I've heard it all before hey I've done this before so it's difficult except in a live you know setting there are still some bands I go see live and I think man this is shit hot you know they've definitely got it But as you get older, it's not that you get jaded, but you you, I guess you just you've heard so much stuff that you do need something quite radically new at times to keep you going. But having said that, that does not mean, you know, like I still love discharge, I still love the dam, I still need to listen to the saints, you know. I love all that stuff. But you know, now I also love, you know, Jamaican music, which I couldn't stand when I was younger. Hmm. I effing love prog rock. You know, I love Yes and King Crimson. I couldn't stand that shit when I was younger. Then one day I was like, "What the hell? This is phenomenal!" I don't know. It's it's constantly new.
0: Has that got to do also, apart from what may be the saturation? Has it got to do with reference points as well? That because you have heard so much, that this new music has some grounding in the old, or is it just that it's completely new?
2: Maybe, or maybe to me it's completely new. Right. You know, I don't know. It. I guess it just depends. And sometimes, you know, there's so much good music out there. It's not linear. You can't, you know, discover. Okay, this is A. Tomorrow, I'm going to look at B, and then next week, I'm going to look at you know C and D. It's more like you just you're just in a room, and you know the lights are out, and you're bumping into. Sh- that's what it feels like. You know, here's another one. Like I always thought there was some good Zappa only quite recently I didn't realise how much phenomenal zappa is out there you know just you know I didn't have time for that when I was younger you know I would hear you know a song like Joe's Garage and think I don't I don't know what everyone's going on about this is crap then you would hear you know Hot Rats and it's like holy what the heck is this life changing so it just depends what you bump into
0: do you think that's going to happen with the hard-ons for someone out there it must be happening somewhere. I hope so
2: that'd be cool
0: you know, they reach a certain age and they may have thought otherwise of you and then they go, bam, something at this point.
2: You know, OK, look, there are a couple of different ways to listen to music. OK, so for someone like me, maybe because he's an artist in music and I need, you know, the more I know, the merrier I am. And the more arsenal I have, and the more ideas I could, you know, pick up on, all that sort of shit. And I don't know, I just need it need it you know I need that rush of you know hearing something you know what I hear recently that blew my mind was Soul Jazz just put out a comp of um, some woman from New Orleans called Betty Harris and the meters are her backing band and it was like this is the dirtiest stinking filthy hot you know funk that I've heard in uh, you know for instance you know and that's that's the thing that's and I got a rush from it it was brand new alien it's, it's incredible so there's people who do that you know need something new all the time and then like loads of my friends are like you know that I grew up with you know that were into punk they didn't move from there you know it's like no mate if, if it came after 1986 80, 87 it's shit house. you know unless there's something that's so retro oh, have you heard this new band are phenomenal you know they'll play me something it's like this is horrible Dude, this is exactly the same chords as so and so and so and so so with, you know, half a different chorus. Nah, it's sick. You're just an idiot. And neither way of listening to music is wrong, you know? Some people just need something while they're doing the vacuum cleaning. Other people need that rush that, you know, that music as an art can give you.
0: Blackie, vocalists over those years, has your choice of vocalists to listen to changed as well?
2: No, I still listen to vocals last that's probably why I don't appreciate lyrical-based uh, artists like Dylan and a few other artists. So,
0: where are you going first? Is it the drums or is it the bass or?
2: No, it's usually the melody or the right. hook, and to me, that is still number one. Like, okay, even if you look at someone like, say, Black Sabbath, who are an incredible band, like you know, should be taught at schools. Why are they different from, you know, all the other hundreds of hard rock bands that sprung up, you know, around that same time? Because they had that sense of melody, you know, in their own way, those hooks, you know. Didn't, they didn't just write, you know, a riff willy-nilly and, you know, put a drum beat to it. You know, they, their songs are so well-crafted that they, when they're in your head, they stay in your head. So that's what I look for, that hook, that energy, that melody, that spark. Then it's like, oh, I wonder what he's singing about. Yeah, can't understand him. doesn't matter. It's good
0: melody. You've done the touring, you've done the hard yards in in the tour van over the years. What's been one of those most memorable experiences that changed you on the road?
2: I can't answer that. All of them. It constantly does that to you. You know, you can have some, you know, strange memories that, you know... I don't know why, but you always remember the negative ones, you know, the most. Like, You know, I remember one time, you know, we were in a German youth centre venue and it got raided by um, a neo-Nazi group and it was beyond carnage, you know why do I remember that, you know, more than you know, you might have met a girl you know, that blew your mar- marbles, you know and you remember that, you know, really specifically and another one that I, always is a real remembrance thing for me is like I remember the hotel I was in when I wrote, you know, all set to go. Really late at night, it was, you know, had the window open, the cool breeze was, you know, all that sort of shit. It's, I don't know, when you talk about stories, like that, it's just, it gets corny. <laughs> but yeah, those sort of things really stick in my mind and, you know, but as, as an educational thing, it's, it's a constant learning thing.
0: And it gets back to your point about there's not one particular place where these songs can or, 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 or should appear as well, as much as Turing.
2: Man, you could be under Danny doing a shit and come up with the best riff ever. I don't have any control of it. I'm I'm just grateful that it, it comes. And you know then I'll have to squeeze my buttocks, walk carefully across the room, not spilling anything, get my dictaphone out, hum the riff, then go back and finish the job and finish the chapter.
0: Try to remember if it was a fart or a lyric.
2: Only 5% of the time it's a lyric, you know, maybe there's a lyrical hook, but you know, most of the times it's a melody.
0: Blackie, thank you very much for doing Radio.
2: It's a pleasure. Was... Thanks for your support.
1: Peter Black. Recorded in 2017. More details on Blackie at peterblacksolo.com.
0: Next time, the voice that's been heard over a trillion times thanks to one song produced by Kung. That's Kylie Alders our feature guest, next time.
1: RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.